listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So, Mick, today we've got a guest on Soil Talk. Joe Sisko is the uh, field rep with Midwest Laboratories. Midwest Labs is the lab we use for our soil testing and run a lot of other things through them, too. So, welcome to Soil Talk, Joe. Thank you. Thank you, Tim and Mick. Joe, as I said earlier, I'll, I'll question your intelligence for riding in the vehicle with Tim, but uh, <laughs> welcome aboard. So for our growers that listen to it, they might not know what the steps are at a, a soil testing laboratory. What, what happens when samples come in the door and how long does it take and what is that process that they kind of go through? So Tim and Mick, when a soil sample, or excuse me, a box of soil samples arrives at the lab, whether it's UPS, FedEx, or Speedy, then it's processed by our, our receivings department, meaning they'll get the boxes, whether it's four, five, or six of them put together, and then they'll, they'll open up those samples, they'll lay them out on the table according to whatever's on the sample, you know, the sample description, and then they'll print off the paperwork, excuse me, they'll, they'll take the paperwork that was printed off and shipped with the samples, and they'll scan that in, and each, each sample bag will get a unique sample ID number. So that sample ID number will follow that sample all the way through the lab. And so the samples are then laid out, the bags are opened up and put on a drying boat, a kind of a french fry boat that goes through the drying chambers. So that'll be dried overnight. The next morning the grinders, people that are grinding those samples up, will put them through a grinder that takes it down to I, I, a mesh, it'll run through a mesh, I can't even remember the, the right size, but it'll take it through that, and then at that point, they'll take that cup of soil and it'll enter the soils lab. And then we'll do a pH analysis, which will dictate which phosphate analysis to run on it. Then another portion will be separated out for the cations and then the micronutrients. And so and then the last thing I believe that would go through it would be the organic matter and where we do loss on ignition. Some growers I know get a little confused and, you know, we'll be out there pulling samples and they'll say, well, can you get me, you know, results this afternoon or first thing the next morning? <laughs> and Well, they literally have to dry overnight and, and we have to get the samples to the lab before that even starts. And, and normally, you know, we're going to box them up and we've got to go back to the office and print out paperwork or maybe we've got a printer in our pickup we can print it but bottom line is we got to get it to the lab and then usually it's got to you know it's the next day that you guys open them up and then they're in the drying chambers you know the afternoon of that next day so there's usually a, a full 24 hours from when we pull the samples before uh, they're even in the drying chambers and that's before they go in the lab and, and honestly Tim as many samples as our guys pull that 24 hours may get stretched out. If it's somebody that's got a large batch and it takes them two days to, to get their batch pulled, those samples are 48 hours plus. Right, so. and whether or not you miss the UPS or the speedy truck, when you get them you know, the boxed up and you set them there for the UPS driver, well, if he was already there, you know, it's going to be the next day now. So we, we do have a little lag. Now, it's not bad. We're still within a week. We generally have results back and we can make recommendations, but it's, it's not same day. Exactly. You know, t uh, Joe, you're thinking about this fall, we're a little bit drier than, than we have been in the last few falls. Uh, 
that certainly helps the drying process, but they all have to sit in that dryer for a period of time to get some of that residual moisture out. We're drying it down to five, six percent moisture, and that takes generally 10 to 12 hours depending on the soil sample, the condition of it. Um, the thing you mentioned is, you know, a grower will see your crop consultant out pulling samples on Friday, and they might actually call you on Monday or Tuesday and say, are my sample results back? And there, there's just a, there's a little more lag time than that, just like you said. But, you know, generally, like you say, five days from, if you pulled them on Monday, were shipped and received at the lab on Tuesday, you could actually see samples results by Thursday, Friday. And what I found out covering Iowa now is growers want to know because they want to get their, they want to get their applications lined up because they want to be first or second in line on getting their applications done and preparing. And that's a, that's a vital role that has to happen even in our, in our business. If we don't get fertilizer applied in the fall, uh, that's a lot of extra work that we got to do in the spring. And not only is that back labor going to affect us, it's going to affect the grower that's trying to plant early. And I always like that freeze-thaw cycle to break up some of the compaction because it's always heavy equipment with dry fertilizer. Not real heavy, Tim. <laughs> it's not like you're riding, driving your loader around out there. Just tons. Just a lot of tons. You know, this goes back a few years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago, where we had a wet winter, and the only time we could apply dry fertilizer or anything was at night. And I remember this this co-op system that now represents CVA here. Uh, they were applying at night to get things done, and that was back in the early 2000s. And so, it, when you have your sample results and you're ready to go, and the weather's good, it's just like harvest. Get it done. Get it done in a hurry. That's the nice thing about Precision Ag. It does allow us to run in a lot later hours with the the auto guidance and the RTK, and there's just a lot of opportunity to do a better job than we used to do. Which kind of brings up a point. So how much does grid sampling affect the laboratory as far as the volumes that come in? I would say <laughs> grid sampling is, is over 50, 60% of our samples. And it's growing. I mean, as we see accounts, regardless of where they're at, as, they, as we see them adopt Precision Ag, their sampling and their, their, their relationship with that grower takes off, and then it grows from there. Joe, I'd like to hear your theory or, or thought process on a composite sample. I know what Tim and I think of those composites type samples, but what do you? How do you feel about those samples? I I feel a disservice to the grower on a composite, unless I can go out and document where I've been with an app, and that means if I could grab an app, and I don't want to pick on anyone's. But say I could grab an app and I could go back and have 12 sample points. I need 12 cores and I could go back to them four years from now or a year from now. Then I could do justice to a composite. But that's the only way. If I mean, I've done composites in, when I was in retail and I look back and it's a guessing game. Unless you know, if you know you can come back. And at that time I couldn't. It was... There's a lot of that that goes on in this business where 
the grower looks at that and they say, well, we don't, we don't need to grid sample. We don't need to zone sample. You know, just give me a composite sample. That's good enough. And, you know, my opinion is we just, well, throw darts at a dartboard and, and give them the results that way versus at least having some sort of way to go back to those same areas. Yeah. If you could call it a smart composite, and that's what I did this spring. I went out on on 280s for a brother, and, and we split it up, but I dropped a point with my, my phone app, and then I came back a month later and did, a, did those same points again just to see if it was repeatable. You know, even when you georeference the points, though, you're still averaging out all those cores because it all goes into the lab in one bag and all gets mixed together. You know, when you average things out, you can really come up with some misinformation. I, you know, if you average out Mick and I, you'd probably come out with a nice, intelligent guy, but we know that's not true. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of tend to be on that lower spectrum, Tim. <laughs> My, my biggest issue with, with grid sampling or zone sampling, whichever way you want to do it, is I consistently find ways I can save that grower money or make his fertilizer bill not quite as bad as it was going to be if I put down the amount of fertilizer that he needs in his low spots across his entire field. So you go out there and they're way low on phosphorus, let's just say. But turns out there's an old livestock area, or maybe the neighbor used to have livestock, and he had a small manure spreader, and he used to spread a bunch of manure out on this 140 across this half section. Well, that half section's really low on phosphorus, but I can get by with a lower total tons of MAP, let's say, that I apply because I can take out some of these spots that have real high fertility, and I don't have to apply there, or I apply a really small amount there and use that fertility that I was going to spend where I really don't need it and put it in the areas where I really do need it. And that, that's what I like most about grid sampling is invariably I can find places where I can save the grower money and nutrients or lime and put those things where they're really needed and not in the areas that don't need them. You know, we, we need to farm smarter and I think of, of things that grandpa used to say and he's always say Work, hard, work smarter, not harder, and, and I think a lot of times uh, we don't think of that composite sample as being the harder way to do things. Uh, but certainly grid sampling or zone sampling is more of an, it's working smarter, not harder. Yeah. So Joe, kind of switching gears just a little bit, you know, you talked a little bit about the standard analysis, that phosphorus, those cations like potassium and calcium, you talk about the micronutrients and pH. How about this whole soil health thing? I mean, that, they got all kinds of people talking about soil health and sustainability. Are you doing some testing along those lines and what are your thoughts on it? So the soil health, what came up five to seven years ago, yeah. as far as a hot topic, and Midwest Lab jumped into it, just like most other labs. Um, but we, we created a Soil Health Complete. And so a consultant can take that Soil Health Complete, run that analysis, and you get our standard S1A, phosphate, potass potassium, and all the cations, pH. But then you can get the Soil Health Analysis that Dr. Haney established. And so you can compare those two. The, other, the third portion of it is the calculation, which comes off of the CO2 burst. And that CO2 burst is no more than just a, a gauge on how much microbial activity that portion of your field has. 
And as you mentioned manure when I think you came in the room, Tim. I think you just smelt it when I came in the room. <laughs> okay. Bree did, anyway. So uh, the manure portion that growers are clinging to now is, uh, is helping on that microbial activity. And if we could get our, our nutrient levels to an optimum, you know, an optimum degree, then we put our seeds out, and then we live, live up to the environment, environmental potential, it's the microbes that could help kick us through a bad year, like we had this year in the drought. You can tell the difference between a good, healthy soil and maybe one that's been degraded. Yeah. And, uh, and Mick, I know you've been doing some things along these lines with uh, trace genomics and doing some microbial analysis of the soil as well, looking at the different microbes out there and their volumes. Elaborate I, on that. I think, you know, the next step beyond microbial uh, what we've been doing with Trace is looking at some of the microbes out there, but in addition to that, the DNA and what DNA we have in our soil. You know, you think about what we know about the human gut, and in the last 25 years, we've learned a lot about that human gut. We are at that stage 25 years ago where we were with the human gut today with our soils what can we learn about our soils that can lead us to the next level? Uh, is that whether there's DNA out there for that is from a disease-causing organism? So is there a, di a disease potential for Goss's wilt? Uh, is there a di disease for great potential for a gray leaf spot? Uh, get better at placing hybrids and varieties and understanding, okay, we have a potential for uh, white mold in this field. Let's stay away from the varieties that are going to get white mold. Let's choose a more resistant variety. I think those are important steps in our future. Uh, is it a perfected system yet? No, absolutely not. We're still learning. It's part of that learning curve and, and getting an understanding of what some numbers mean. Uh, they can give us a, an idea, okay, if you're below this, you're probably going to be safe. But it doesn't guarantee it, and we need to learn where is that safety level or where is that level at. Uh, I think over the next five to ten years, we'll be able to learn those things. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges is uh, the agronomy and the agronomist catching up with the technology. You know, Tim, and one of our biggest setbacks in this industry is it's a one-year cycle. You have one chance to do it and do it right, and you have one chance for results every year and so it takes a long time to get to learn something new and to get figured out exactly where we're at in the data collection well and every every year you learn something new but what one thing you learn is what you learn this year may or may not actually apply to next year exactly. the next year's weather's going to be different <laughs> you know and we're testing in nature uh, as you learn with your organic plot this year you're testing in nature and Nature, Mother Nature's fickle, and she throws a curveball at you, and you can have one strip here of eight rows next to another strip and get totally different results. Yeah, that's one thing I like about the way Midwest Laboratory does their soil health testing is they do give me one number that I at least understand, along with a number that I question, but, you know, it it is the Haney result. It's just I'm not always sure what to do with that result. You know, if I've got really low biological activity and I know the sample was taken during a time where there was decent soil moisture and decent uh, heat, 
So there should be good biological activity. Well, then I got a question, you know, that there's a problem here and maybe I need to do something about it. But, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to make a phosphorus recommendation or Lyme recommendation than it is to make a soil health recommendation. You have a lot more years of, of proven facts behind you there, though. Right. The whole correlation and calibration, that's one of my challenges with everything related to soil health is the correlation to yield really hasn't been established real well yet. Not that it can't be. It's just, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Yeah. The one thing I'm seeing about the soil health, um, the test itself, is it's, it's in a combination with what you're already doing. Then you look at something, say I'm going to try no-till or I'm going to implement livestock into the program. So I take my soil health now, 2020, well then I come back in 2021, 2022, same time of the year, and then I see, what am I doing? Am I moving the mark? And that's, you know, it's no different than what we do with our, with our common tests, our basics. And then, then we see how they, how they bleed into each other. Right. Bringing it into the grower system, having an understanding of their system and using those numbers to make tweaks instead of just a, okay, here's the number, here's your recommendation. That that makes a lot more sense to me. I would agree. Yeah. So, you know, we talked a little bit about soil testing. We talked about soil health. Um, I think Midwest Labs did some new things with plant tissue testing this year, um, a program kind of around uh, tissue testing a little more often and maybe uh, trying to fine-tune some of that fertility. Tell us a little bit about that, Joe. So uh, this this year we we launched Shared Insights, and it's a week-to-week tissue sampling program. And so if if I'm a corn grower and I want to have a little better understanding of what, what's going on within my plant, say from V4 all the way out to, you know, V14, then... This program allows me to tissue sample on a Monday, Tuesday, or I, you know, I have one of my consultants or my agronomist from your location come out and take those samples for me. But it 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 builds on itself. We can see what's going on week to week. We can even see, okay, I had a rain event July 1st, and I take my tissue samples the week of July 5th. I see a spike in my nitrogen and my boron and my zinc. So then I know those are all mobile nutrients. My, my soil profile was rehydrated, so then I had some major uptake. Or if I see three or four weeks of a nutrient kind of on the bo- bottom side of where I'd like it, well then I know I have an application coming up either through the pivot or with an airplane. I could maybe adjust. But those are some opportunities there. But mostly it's just a scorecard on a week-to-week basis that maybe I just want to know what my basics are doing my N, P, and K, and then next year I could adjust something. Maybe there's something in the marketplace that I should do differently, a tillage or an application method. Any thoughts on that one, Mick? Certainly having that week-to-week report card gives us some idea of what's going on. Um, we, need to, we need to get a little better at fine-tuning what we're doing with those. Are we letting them sit on a desk for a week before we look at them or are we looking at them right away and making making educated adjustments to those that's a challenge too because i I did it this year for three growers where we did either every week or every other week by the time you get the results back and by the time especially if you're uh, putting them in a spreadsheet or something in this case i was doing spreadsheets with graphs you can easily be a week 
before you've got information that you're comfortable looking at. Because, number one, you want to see where you're at now, but also, well, how's this compared to where I was last week or two weeks ago? And how's that compared to the norms? Am I trending up? Am I trending down? Or, and the norms trend as well. Nothing static out there. The one thing I'll say to growers about it is it's not for the guy who hasn't done a pretty good job with his grid zone sampling and base fertility to start with. If you haven't done that, don't bother with this. But if you've done that and you're looking for the next level, this is not a bad way to get a better picture of what's going on in your plant from a fertility standpoint. We pay a lot of attention to the soil because, frankly, that's what most guys need to pay attention to. But if you really want to get into it a lot further, and it's a lot of work, it's not something that you just do once and you're done. It's you're out in that field, you know, every week or every other week. And when you get past about V6, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's not a lot of fun walking around V14 corn. You can't do that with your four-wheeler. You can, but the grower is usually pissed off. And to do it right, you need to go past the first and second and third tower. Yeah. And it's, it is a lot of work because uh, I went through... Well, I actually went through uh, dent, black, brown silk, and actually all the way through uh, uh, maturity and black layer. Black layer, yeah. And, uh, and it's a lot of work to get those samples taken, get them done and sent to the lab. And then ours, one benefit of our program is it comes in already correlated week to week, and then you can look at it after the fact. Now, we're going to have some tweaks to the program this winter, and those tweaks will make it a little more user-friendly and we'll see what happens next year yeah i know some of the ultra high yield corn growers have been doing some things like that too the randy dowdies and the david hulas believe a lot in that weekly tissue sampling um i haven't figured it out as well as they have but there definitely is some advantage to it as far as getting a good picture of what's going on in the plant the, some of the things it points out to in all honesty don't make sense to me like iron in a high iron field or magnesium in a high magnesium field. I don't understand that, but for whatever reason, that those tissue samples on those days I pulled them had less iron or magnesium in than what the laboratory says the norm is. And that's part of our learning curve and, and understanding. And we still, like I said earlier, we still have got to get ourselves trained. Let's get these results back. Let's do something about it or at minimum, take a look at them. Uh, and as you know, and I've done it myself, it gets to be a struggle to get in the process of looking at that number and doing something with it. Right. You know, we go back to correlation and calibration, and we, you know, a lot of our land-grant universities don't find a lot of correlation with something like magnesium or manganese or iron with yield. So when we don't have correlation studies and we don't have calibration of fertilizer results, so when the grower says, okay, I'm low in iron, what do I do? You know, I don't know. Can I make a recommendation for a product? Absolutely. Is that product going to produce yield? I don't know. So it, it's one of those deals you, you again, want to be working with that grower who's trying to push the edge and isn't expecting absolutely everything you put out there to give him profitable response because, to be honest with you, I, I can't guarantee it when I start getting out in that level. No, that's the, the, that will be a learning curve for all of us. Um, I think, like you said, some of the ultra high yield guys have figured it out. Is it that they've had the right products or have they just paid more attention to it? Uh, I think it's that they've paid more attention to it and, and learned how to adapt those readings to, to, and understand those, what they're 
seeing on a weekly basis. But I'll tell you, you know, it comes back to where we were discussing some things on your plot work and where you had only 12 and a half inches of rain. So if you can, if you can match up that 12 and a half inches of rain through the growing season, and then now look at your yield data and your plant tissue and your soil reports, there you have the power. You can right. see, okay, how did I get through this season on 12 and a half inches and still made that 150, 180 bushel corn? And then what was going on within the plant? What was, what was there to begin with in the soil? And every year we always have this thought, how did we get this much yield? Well, there, there can just be those timely rains and we get that mineralization and it takes us through the, through the black layer or we were just lucky. And I hate to rely on luck. I would say half that value of that tissue sampling is just being out in that field. Whether it's the grower or whether it's the agronomist, being out in that field and looking at what you're seeing, taking some pictures occasionally to help you remember later, there's a lot to be said for just being out there and see what that plant's doing. Because yeah. back to your low moisture, if it's onion and up every day, well, you know that that's going to affect yield. Mm -hmm. you, you think about it, and uh, we have several companies wanting to take the feet off the ground per se. Uh -huh. uh, as you and I have, have always argued, feet on the ground are hard to replace because there's little things that we can notice when we're out in those fields. Yeah. And not everybody likes to be out in a cornfield when it's dropping pollen. It doesn't bother me to get itchy and, and have yellow seats in my pickup. Yeah. All right, Joe, anything else we should know about uh, what's going on at the lab or we cover it pretty well? Well, the lab's taking samples every day. If there's a, a thought that you need to add a micronutrient, call, call a field rep, have your people call us, add that nutrient on, because we keep those samples about 20 days now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we run out of room when we're at max capacity. And so it's better to get it done now than to wait. It's a good comment on the micronutrients. You know, we're so used to looking at P and K and making a recommendation on nitrogen. That's kind of all we think about. You know, pH, of course, we're pretty high on that one. But, you know, especially as you get those taken care of, sulfur, zinc, manganese, boron, copper, you go down that list and any one of them could be yield limiting. And look at sodium because that's one that snuck up on us last week. A call came in asking about a field and so sodium wasn't part of that program. So we looked at the numbers, and there was an issue building. Yeah. So it's just little things. Yeah. The other thing I'll give you is trend lines more important than any one set of samples. So looking back at the old samples and seeing how these compare really has a lot of value. That's for sure, too. All right. Well, let's wrap it up, Joe. Thanks for uh, coming on to Soil Talk with us. Uh, with Mick Godekin, I'm Tim Mundorf, and thanks for listening to Soil Talk. Thank you for joining us on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CBA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cbacoop.com and you can see our agronomy focus blog series every other Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Mick Godekin and Tim Mundorf.